Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another edition. Wouldn't it be interesting to explore the dynamics with couples when it comes to spending? And that would include both overspending and underspending. We uh, have talked about the dynamics of underspending. You know, we hear a lot from people like myself to be frugal, to save for the future, live on less than you make. And this is important, right? Uh, Most Americans don't follow that advice. The majority live month to month and hand to mouth. Research indicates that 56% of Americans can't afford a $1,000 emergency, meaning they would need to borrow or sell assets to find the money. So overspending is pretty close to being an American financial epidemic. But sometimes we have the reverse problem, underspending. I've talked about this before. You know, how, how can underspending be a problem? You know, I just said that it's necessary to save and accumulate, but accumulating wealth, while it requires people to live on much less than they earn, and being frugal, and frugality is a common denominator of almost every first-generation wealth builder. Frugality is more important than the the job you have, the income you have, what you invest in, a number of things. Frugality is the common denominator of wealth builders. But we don't want to confuse living on less and being frugal with underspending. So just for individuals, overspending or underspending is a problematic financial behavior. It can totally adversely affect the quality of your life, whether you are over or underspending. But for a couple, the adverse effect of over or underspending is multiplied financially and multifaceted because it brings in the dynamic of the relationship. Not only can these behaviors be life-threatening from a financial standpoint, they can also threaten the relationship and end up in the termination of the relationship. So this is serious stuff. And oftentimes when I did uh, some training on couples therapy, which let's be clear, (laughs) I'm not a couples therapist. 
but the work I do requires being um, sensitive and having some skills in helping couples negotiate the emotional roadblocks around money. So uh, in the, the training that I did with that, uh, very typically I would uh, set up when we did role playing the dynamics of a, a couple who was fighting about the spending of money, whether it was overspending or underspending. It's very, very common. Totally common. I run into it all the time. So I've come up with five possible combinations of uh, overspenders and underspenders in a coupleship. Uh, this is kind of brand new thinking on my part, so I'd be interested in any input that you have into this. Two of these combinations don't result in significant marital issues, but they can be financially and physically devastating. Another two of these possible combinations are somewhat less financially devastating, but potentially threatening to the success and continuation of the coupleship. And one includes both financial and emotional chaos. Could be devastation. <laughs> so let's take a look at these combinations. So the first one that I selected to explore is a couple where both are overspenders. So in this case, I think you've got overspending on steroids, right? It's enough to be a single individual and be an overspender. But when you're in a coupleship where both are overspenders, we've got some uh, potentially extreme outcomes. And I've worked with a number of couples with this type of spending. And typically the spending is an addiction. It gives both partners a physical high similar to uh, that experienced by an alcoholic or a drug addict. Like other addictions, it has really destructive consequences, like creating overwhelming debt, draining life savings, destroying outside relationships, even stealing from other family members or employers. Remember, you have two members of the coupleship that are participating in the problematic behavior of overspending. The reasons for overspending are almost always emotional. Typical money scripts of overspending couples would be, we deserve it. We work hard. Spending makes us happy. You only live once. And there's many, many other uh, money scripts that can go with overspending. And these, the money scripts are typically the money scripts of those parts of ourselves that are managers who protect more vulnerable parts of ourselves that can have feelings of worthlessness, hopelessness, low self-esteem, regrets, and I could go on and on. Uh, this is, these are just a few of those underlying vulnerabilities 
that can drive these money scripts. The managers are very focused, those parts of ourselves, on making sure that those vulnerabilities are not felt. So the result of this is that a couple can go from financial crisis to financial crisis to financial crisis. They're often unable to provide the life and the security that they really want for themselves or their children. You know, the positive with this is they both agree on the overspending, right? So here's a nuance I want you to consider that using spending as a medicator doesn't always show up in such financially dramatic ways. You might say, well, wait a minute. How could that be? Well, it's true that even couples who seem to live moderately and manage their money responsibly can be therapy shoppers who spend in order to make themselves feel better. In other words, that still have the underlying emotional drive to spend. Um, I'll give you the example of, I'll call them Alexandria and Simon. They are both in their 40s. They both had good paying jobs and a substantial net worth. Uh, they were investing part of their income and they were current on all their financial obligations. They only had a modest amount of debt. They were certainly not spending beyond their means or jeopardizing their their future security. They didn't appear to be in any financial difficulty. But when I looked at their budget and reviewed that with them, they were both clearly uncomfortable with some of their spending habits. They routinely purchased new furniture and appliance and vehicles to replace those that were still relatively new and in good repair. They spent loads of money on, on clothes that they said they don't really need. And, and the key is here, they were disturbed, right? One could say that they could afford to do this, but both of them were unhappy with this behavior. So instead of simply reassuring them that, hey, you're managing your money well, you're not overspending, I don't see a problem. They insisted there was a problem. So we explored this issue and the possibility that they still could be medicating or, or that they might be medicating really difficult emotions with this spending. That was kind of an aha moment for both of them who said, you know what? We've been doing this for years. Imagine the money that we might have accumulated without this overspending. And, and while they were well off, they weren't exactly wealthy. So their problem wasn't the amount of money that they were spending. It was the reasons behind their spending. If either of them had a stressful day at work, they'd go to the mall in much of the same way that another person might stop at a bar for a couple of drinks on the way home. Shopping, finding bargains, buying themselves new clothes and household gifts were 
actions they didn't think a lot about. Uh, and both of them used these actions to soothe themselves when either was upset. They really never stopped to ask themselves whether they really needed or had a use or even wanted the things that they were buying. Again, they weren't spending more than they could afford, but they were spending time as well as money unproductively, and they were disturbed by it. That's the key. Their house was, like I said, cluttered with clothes that they didn't wear, knickknacks that they really didn't care about, new appliances, gadgets that they didn't use. Once they realized the emotional reason for their shopping and spending, they were able to find more constructive ways to deal with the stress. Each of them gradually learned that a conversation with a friend or with each other, writing in a journal, meditating, taking a walk, especially in nature, could serve the same purpose as a trip to the mall and were healthier responses to difficult days, being in touch with their feelings and actually learning how to feel their feelings, talk about their feelings, rather than to medicate them with the shopping and the buying. They began recognizing that they were using that shopping to soothe their emotions and that was enough to help them begin to change. Now, other couples whose behaviors are more deeply ingrained might find change a lot more difficult, right? In those cases, they probably would benefit greatly from working with a financial therapist with the expertise to help them look at the emotions and the underlying uh, patterns behind that spending. So that's the overspender overspender. How about when you have two underspending partners? The threat to their safety and mental health is exponential, not just doubled. Wait a minute, what do you mean? Well, there's no financial threat to them. They have the money. <laughs> they are underspending. Uh, but there might as well be a financial threat to them since the way they live their life is as if they were financially deprived. So self-denial like this, which is in the name of being thrifty, being frugal, can be taken to extremes that are every bit as dysfunctional as overspending. And I've talked about this before I co-authored a book called The Financial Wisdom of Ebenezer Scrooge. And that particular book highlights Scrooge, which was a character in the Charles Dickens A Christmas Carol. And he's the iconic example of an underspender. He lived with not enough food, you know, he barely kept his fire going. It was cold in his apartment. His furnishings were bleak and, and very minimal. I mean, it looked like he was as poor as the poorest of the poor. He had 
great wealth at his disposal. So we have a lot of folks today, more modern day examples, of the unenlightened Scrooge. They may be more personable people, but um, we have a lot of examples of underspenders. Well, what's wrong? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with somebody living on less than they could? Well, there's, there's nothing wrong. We've talked about the fact that frugality is a common denominator of accumulating, accumulating wealth, but when it's taken to extremes, it becomes underspending. And one definition of underspending that I like is spending significantly less than the amount you could conservatively spend annually and still have a 99% chance of never running out of money. In other words, and I think I've mentioned this before, I had a couple that could spend $120,000, $140,000 a year who were choosing to spend around $40,000 or so. And at the $120,000 or $140,000 level, they had a 99% chance of never running out of money. So this is underspending. And... It's just really important to understand that this is not the same as continuing to make frugal choices and uh, say, especially before retirement, and economizing when possible. Underspending results in people failing to get adequate medical care, eat a healthy diet, lived in a well-maintained and comfortable home, or just use uh, support pay for support and help that would make life easier. And we've also talked before with a couple that is frugal, right? And, and frugal can be necessary, that when they hit retirement, that the frugality doesn't stop. Typically, frugality isn't something that people just flip a switch and turn off, because at some point in time, frugality needs to morph into spending. So I find that wealth accumulators uh, have lived with the money script for so long that I can't consume my investments or my savings that when time comes to live off the investments, it poses a significant challenge. And I think about a, another couple, I'll call them Martin and Eleanor, that worked all their lives to save $2 million. I think I've told this story before. They could easily afford $60,000 a year to live on, but instead they just withdrew $10,000. Now, when I say they could afford $60,000 a year to live on, they would have a 99% chance of never running out of money. But the problem was what they didn't spend their money on. They neglected their health. They didn't get annual checkups. They hadn't seen a dentist for years. Martin's eyesight was beginning to fail, but they still insisted on driving because flying was too expensive. They slept on an old mattress. Only two burners on the kitchen stove worked. There were planks in their deck that needed to be replaced. So it, it was really dangerous for them. So the cure for a couple to underspending isn't to run out 
and start spending money, right? Especially if they don't add value to one's life. But instead, it's spending the money that, that they do have to make their life more comfortable and enjoyable. And there, there's a kind of an important journey for a couple like this because if one begins to be okay with spending and the other one doesn't, now you can set up another dynamic that we'll talk about in a minute. So like with, with anything, a coupleship can be complex and takes a lot of awareness and work. So let, let's, that's probably a good segue into talking about two combinations, partners in a, a marriage or a partnership or you have an underspender and a balance spender or an overspender and a balance spender. So in the, in the example that I just gave, where you can be going from frugality to retirement and one person is underspending while the, while the other person morphs into what I'll call a, a balance spender. And of course you can have the same thing where you have an overspender and the other partner is more of a balanced spender. These two combinations have the advantage of having one partner who isn't emotionally medicating with under or overspending. And I say an advantage because that partner often serves as a governor, which is like a, a limit on, on how fast you can go in a vehicle. You could call it a weight, like an, an anchor to a speedboat right? Speedboat may be going full blast, but with the anchor dragging, it doesn't, isn't going as fast as it could. So that can definitely have financial benefits, right? Keeps the overspender or underspender a little bit in check, but the emotional cost to the relationship can be almost as high as when you have an overspender and underspender coupleship. The issue of money and the issue of spending or overspending is always present and is often the um, cause of continual marital friction. So this can be incredibly damaging, right? And then that leads us to probably one of the most tumultuous partnerings in a relationship and that's where you have an underspender and an overspender <laughs> okay so we got, we got both extremes uh, in the partnership and uh, so at first glance you might think well wow partnership of, of this might actually be in balance right <laughs> you got the overspender the underspender and maybe it's uh like paddling a canoe where both people in the canoe are facing each other paddling, right? Theoretically, you're not going to go anywhere. Actually, I don't see that it works that way usually. It's more like the man that had one foot in a bucket of ice and the other foot in a bucket of embers and tried to convince himself that on the average his temperature was just right. No, the fact was both feet were in trouble. So this union 
of people is probably one of the most chaotic financial and emotional partnerships where extremes are the are the, are the norm both financially and relationally so it can just have all of the dynamics that we talked about and is a a union that really needs to some some help and each partner is needing that help to, to look at what the underlying issues are that are driving their under or overspending. So hopefully you didn't recognize your relationship in anything that I went through. And hopefully you're in a relationship of some balance. And and this is it's on a continuum too. You know, it's not just black or white. You are an overspender or underspender, or that you're extreme. There's degrees of being an overspender or an underspender. So part of the the goal would be to look at what's driving the overspending or underspending. You know, and we've said that there's um, all these parts of us have good intentions. What's the good intention of overspending? Well, usually it is to provide fun. I mean, money that's not spent, like Scrooge, what's the point? Money is there to support our quest for meaning in life. So spending is necessary. And typically, there's a part of us that wants those experience in life, wants that ease in life, wants to support these quests, right? And so that's a good intention of, of, of spending, which can be overspending or developing to that. Underspending is, is the intention, uh, would be, let's just say frugality or living on less than you make so you can save for the future. So you can save for important things. Really good intentions. And it can be, be taken to the extreme where in one, time i think the couple going into retirement is a really good example their frugality serves a really good purpose really well intentioned but when this the switch is flipped and retirement is here and spending is needed those um, past actions of frugality can now actually as well intended as they are serve to be um, problematic and hurtful to the person or the relationship. So it's just uh, so important to take a, a really good look at this in a relationship. And this is something that uh, people usually just don't spend a lot of time on, especially before marriage, right? And we've talked, we've had some podcasts on that. So I hope you've enjoyed this and uh, I hope it's been helpful to you. So take care. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.